0: listening to the Surf Simply podcast, bringing you news and opinion about surf culture, characters, coaching and competition from the team at the Surf Simply Coaching Resort. For more about Surf Simply's video coaching courses, go to surfsimply.com.
1: Hello ladies and gentlemen and welcome to episode 63 of the Surf Simply podcast. Uh, this is another pre-recorded show. We are uh, away still on our vacations well not all of us are away on our vacations Rue is actually working incredibly hard at the moment trying to get the last finishing touches done to the uh, new resort here in Nasara, Costa Rica hopefully we're going to get it opened up uh, at the end of October for our for our new season so fingers crossed everything comes together I've got a little interview for you here this was not recorded by us this was actually recorded by three people that have been very uh, very influential to us at Surf Simply Kai and Bailey and Kevin have uh well they've they've, they've got a new project that they're running called People and Company. They're an awesome trio, and that they've helped us out in it with a ton of a ton of stuff. They've been uh, been coming down here for a long time. Uh, they sat down with with Rue uh, a little while ago and uh, recorded an interview. And Kai very kindly sent me through the audio and gave us permission to put it out on our feed. So I hope you find it interesting. I'm going to put a bunch of links in the show notes through to their original posting. Of this, uh, for those of you that are interested in in what they're doing and and what their project is all about, um, this is kind of the history of Surf Simply, I guess. This is they sat down with Rue and and sort of asked him to talk through how we got to where we are now. We've hinted at little bits and pieces of this, you know. There's, there's a lot of stuff in here that you'll probably recognise from from us talking about it before. But this is is Rue as the interview subject rather than the interviewer and yeah i i hope you guys find it interesting i hope it it tells you a little bit more about who we are and and what we do beyond being uh these bunch of surf nerds that talk in your ears every now and then so i'm going to uh, i'm going to hand over to to kai now who's uh, who, who kind of led the interview uh, apologies for the sound quality it, it was recorded on uh, on a dictaphone really with the intention of of just transcribing the interview and uh, they felt it was really strong and and they put it out on their soundcloud page and, and we just thought it was a, a really interesting interview so Please bear with the sound quality. I've, I've done my best to, to tidy it up a little bit. But, uh, yeah, I hope you guys enjoy. So, the
2: very first time we met was right on the beach at Giones, right? And you stood out because you were actually drawing these like crazy kind of charts in the sand. And you had your... your, your your clients there and I saw you walking up and down the beach with those long boards you know and today we're here um you have built what literally is the premium surf coaching destination not only in costa rica but in the world um how did That's my cognitive think- <laughs> it's a fact you know like um one of the things I've always admired is like, you know, your, your booking is like about a year in advance, right? So, and the waiting list is crazy. Uh, there Some people have been waiting for two years. Some people, uh, definitely a lot of people come back more than once or twice. Um, so how did, let's start with how did an English boy, an English grommet from uh, Cornwall, um, end up in not only in Costa Rica, changing how surf coaching is done, but you're also now an entrepreneur, right? Which is, um, yeah, did you always, yeah, where, where did you come from? Like, how, how did you start? Like, did you ever think you'd get here?
3: I w- I wasn't particularly academically successful when I was at school. Um, I always found writing really hard mm-hmm. and would just write about four times slower than or everyone else at school. So I always found any kind of written exams really difficult to get through. And um, by the time I left school, my main focus was actually on art. And I went and did uh, fine art in, at Chelsea College in London. And about halfway through uh, doing that, I decided to take a year off and go and uh, surf in Cornwall for the summer and then go to Indonesia for the winter because I'd uh, seen a Led Hamilton movie when I was a, when I was a kid that just looked awesome. And I used to surf down in Cornwall in the summer holidays because my grandparents lived down there. So it always had, you know, like a lot of people had these beautiful holiday kind of memories and associations. And, uh, and I started teaching surfing just as a way to pay for uh, surf trips to Indonesia or specifically one surf trip. But I came back from that first surf trip and I was like, oh, I'm just starting to scratch the surface here. This, this wasn't a thing I was ticking off. This was like a Pandora's box I was opening. Um, so I'm, I thought oh, I'm going to do this again but you know, I'm going I'm to teach surfing in the summer I'm going to go off on long surf trips around Indonesia and Australia and Hawaii in the winter and that's just what I'm going to do until I figure out you know what else I'm going to do um, and so I, and I, you know, a, a, any job that you do is always more fun if you really get into it so I decided to you know, really get into uh, teaching surfing and I wasn't doing it for that long when to me at least it, there was this big Glaring gap that that had appeared, which was, I was doing entry level surf lessons, which you know everyone's pretty familiar with mm. what that's all about, and I was doing um, a little bit of video coaching with the British Junior Team and some other young competitors, which most people will be less familiar with, um, but is pretty common in within surf culture. People aren't unfamiliar with it, um, but there's this huge gap. So it's like there's there's the like the beginner one percent and the top one percent. There's these kind of frameworks in place for mm. useful coaching. And, you know, 98% of surfers who, who are not either beginners or pros, there's just nothing there. And um, and, in, and a lot of the people that I was teaching at the entry level were wanting to come back for more and more lessons. And the way that entry-level surfing is is um, taught is really focused all about standing up. And, and without getting really technical, that's not really how you have to approach it if you want to keep getting better. So I do these entry-level lessons about standing up and then people would say I'd like to keep going and I'd be like okay well in that case you need to forget all of that stuff that's about you know riding a wave in on your feet and I'll teach you how to actually surf the board you know how to move your weight around and get it to do what you want it to do and and why you would want to do that and and to play this game of like how can I get the board as close to the white water as I can without getting stuck in the white water which is really what the game of surfing is Um, and I started to systematically try to kind of piece those things together but I think what was hugely advantageous for me was I was working, um, doing lessons with groups of ten or fifteen people, mm. four times a day because that was we got paid, you know, in in that way and a kind of a commission thing, and that was the best way to make money. So I, I, I was living in my caravan and I'd put on my wetsuit and put my lunch in my backpack and I'd go down and teach ten or twelve people and I would stay at the water's edge. They would go up and ten or twelve more people would would come down um, and. I was doing that for about 10 years and, o- and over that time I got to teach like some 15,000 odd people and it was great because I could I could really tease out some of the variables and what works and what doesn't work so you know I could teach like 200 people to put their hand here 200 people to put their hand here or try things in different orders and, and kind of like figure out what worked in a in more of a systematic way um you know I could dive into the all of the little details that then kind of went together but I guess long story short the Next big piece of the puzzle was I was training a lot of coaches Mm -hmm. um, and mostly when it's seasonal work, if you have someone who's a really capable, driven, intelligent person, generally speaking, and this is just general and and making no judgments about anyone, but generally speaking, people don't do seasonal work. They tend to find one career that they focus on because just the work to reward In terms of financial and what you can achieve professionally is is, is there. So when I was trying to teach surf coaches, I realized I had to have something where I could have people come and work full-time and get a salary that allowed them to buy a car, raise a family, take out a mortgage and and become professional surf coaches. And that would give me the ability to spend three or four years training them and then have them work for 10 or Mm -hmm. 20 years, you know, make a a full-time career out of it. And if you're anywhere in Europe... Certainly. In most places in the world, it's a seasonal job. So people do it for a couple of years and then, you know, they're off. So you're constantly training new people and losing people. And you just never, you're on a treadmill in terms of staff ability and training. So that was how come the Costa Rica part of the puzzle came in. Because I, I spent most of that time I was teaching in England, or certainly the latter half of that decade, looking for places which tick that one box in particular. Can we run surf coaching courses here all the way through the year? Yeah. and then there's other things like it has to be you know accessible um it can't take you know five days to get there um rips and rocks and natural hazards you've got to kind of take that into account crowds temperature um and when I arrived here in osara you, i do, there's do you mind if I, there's yeah you and I have known each other for now close to
2: fifteen years right and there's always kind of been this Thing that I've been so curious about. There's kind of a gap for me about this friendship, this story. Um, there are no shortages of uh, surf coaches in England around the world. Um, you went from you know not doing so well the, academically, art school, to surf coaching, traveling to in Indonesia. I've heard that story, but the thing that I've never figured out is where did you learn how to think so methodically and systematically? Right, like. Where did that system come from? Because I also want you to uh, describe, I've heard you describe how technical you were about how you found Costa Rica. It wasn't just like, you know, ticking a few boxes. Like you actually went through and did a bunch of research. Just not a lot of, not even just surf coaches, but human beings in the world, whether they're scientists or not, um, have that kind of,
3: that clarity of thought and discipline of thought. None of us, you know, quite know why our mind works the way it does. Um, but there's, there's a few things that I, I look at that have happened in my life that I think probably were quite influential. Um, and, they, and it might sound slightly tangential, but I, I do think this kind of had an impact. So growing up, my mum, my who I'm, is still one of my best friends, is like very, very religious, and I'm really not. And is she not a pastor? Or a- uh, she, she was, actually. Okay. She's not anymore, because uh, she's sort of retired. But uh, when I was younger, we would really butt heads about the whole religion thing. And we still do now, just, as like a, just for fun, really, because uh, we just enjoy it. But it was, it was from quite a young age, being in a very religious environment and just feeling like, oh, there's something not quite adding up here yeah. and, and constantly being in a position where you're saying, that's not quite right, but why is it not quite right? Yeah. I really have to like unpick this and pull at yeah. the threads. I think, from a really young age, it got me in the habit of constantly doing that, and that combined with probably just being slightly contrarian anyway, and then uh, having a dad who was, who was an accountant and you know he used to make me do spreadsheets of how I was going to save or spend my pocket money from the age of seven uh, so you know I, I think my, my dad really instilled into me a very pragmatic practical way of trying to problem solve where you you can have a big idea, but then you have to zoom in on like, what is step one, step two, step three? And I think all of those like hours and hours and months and years of just debating every point in the Bible with my mum was a really good way of, of just learning how to pull at threads and trying to understand why someone can think something, which in my opinion, may not necessarily add up. Um, you know, and, I, and I was fortunate enough to hang out with some people that kind of expanded upon that and, and, and I learned about, you know, critical thinking and those kind of things. And one, one thing that I think I often say to people and it always kind of makes people roll their eyes a bit, but when I came to surf coaching, I saw a lot of the same woolly thinking mm-hmm. um, and kind of correlation, causation, confusion and confirmation bias and so-and-so does this and is successful, therefore they're successful because they do this, so we should all do that, that, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I saw a lot of that in surf coaching that I had sort of seen in the church as a kid. And I was like, oh, I know how to unpick this. Like, I, this, I can do this. Uh, and so, ridiculous though that may sound, I actually think that, that kind of played a big part in it. Can you list out, let's say,
2: three of the main things that you pick apart in surfing or surf coaching?
3: Um, you mean, like, principles or actual technical things that people do on the board?
2: Uh, principles that led you to, you know, Building out what surf simply is today? Like what what are three major foundations that you kind of knock down? You know, cause, cause surfing, you know, for even someone who loves it, but intermediate, you know, it, it's a pretty it's tribal, right? They 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 love their traditions, right? Um, they, how, which of the three did you kinda
3: knock down? Um oh, that that's a big question. I mean, I think I think the the first big idea that I had that I wasn't aware of anyone else doing before and seemed to have a huge impact on everyone that I taught was you know as I said before this idea that the aim of the game was not to stand up on the board and ride the wave either in the white water or down the line but was instead to try to to turn the board to put it in the fastest part of the wave you know which competitive surfers will be familiar with that concept yeah. but it's one of those things that takes you so long to realise on your own that by the time you realise it, it seems obvious. But but no one ever explains it to you otherwise. And teaching beginners that was so different to everything that everyone else was doing. You know, I would make people lie down and shift their weights around and understand where what we call the secret buttons are on the board, like you know we've talked about before. Um, but. I would have hundreds of people come along who had had dozens of surf lessons, and just after like half an hour ago, I've never learned any of that, and it makes so much sense. Thank you so much. And I guess that gave me the confidence to go. I wonder what else I can kind of unpick. Um, I I, I guess two other two other ideas, which are not so specific to uh, teaching lessons, but uh, teaching people how to go away and practice stuff rather than trying to teach them to do it on that day. um, I think that that. That's a that's been a really big part of, of how we kind of teach surfing. Um, you know, giving people systems rather than goals, as the mm. old kind of cliche goes, but, but kind of applying that to surfing. Um and then the idea of uh establishing people's limiting factors. You know, I see a lot of even really good surf coaches who, without seeing someone surf all that much, will say, Oh, you're here, this is what you should work on next, and then this and then this. Mm. And when we've got experienced surfers, we put a lot of time and energy straight away into going like, what's the thing where if everything else leapfrogs forward, this one thing still holds you back and then mm. let's do that first. Mm. And then let's address the other limiting factors kind of in priority afterwards.
2: Kind of that friction that will allow them slide into that next level. Bailey? Did you
0: have- yeah, if you said you give people systems, not goals and you give people something to practice when they go back. So for surfing, like, can you give an example of something sure. like that? Sure.
3: So, so first of all, like, so let's say you came along, right? So your first session that you're going to go down and do with uh, whoever your coach is, they're going to give you uh, a few drills to do. They're going to send you out in front of the camera without too much... They're going to make sure you're comfortable in the ocean, but without too much direction, they're going to say, you know, I want you to come up to your feet, in a straight line in the white water i want to you want to see you catch an unbroken wave and come up to your feet and drop into it before it breaks i want to see you go right and left i want to see you do the biggest uh carving change of direction going both ways that you can and then i want to see you climb over a broken section in front of you if you can and if and if any of that stuff you think well that's really easy I can definitely do that then that's great and if there's any of that stuff that you think I don't know why they're asking me to do it that seems impossible then just give it your best go and by seeing how it is that you're unable to do it that's really helpful for us too and just from those five drills you can be pretty much anywhere on the surfing spectrum short of competitive pro and it's going to tell us straight away what your limiting factor is is it your Ability to read waves, is it the way that you're getting up, is it the way that you're standing, is it that, I mean this is just a classic, it, it, there's a million things it could be, right, we have 150 boxes on our tree of knowledge, so without going through all of them, like a really common one that I think we've discussed before is like a lot of people put their leading hand over their toe rail, right, so you know, that has to be fixed otherwise you can't press all of the buttons on the board. A lot of people move their weight backwards and forwards by moving their upper body rather than their hips, again, so like let's just get that right. Um, it might be that people are um, not pr- not looking at the waves that they don't catch to see how far off their predictions were. So they haven't got a good mechanism for, with every surf they go for, getting better and better at predicting what waves are going to do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, th- those are just three really common examples. And, you know, we may well address all three of those in a week. And none of those things are things that you're necessarily going to get right there and then. But now when you go home back to New York and you paddle for a wave, or back to Manhattan Beach and you paddle for a wave and the wave goes past you, before this week you might have turned round and just looked back out to sea. And now after this week you might watch it and you'll go, okay, it breaks there. And actually I thought it would break three meters in from me and it's breaking seven meters in from me. So I was about um, four meters off with my prediction of waves. Here comes one that looks similar. I wonder if I can now predict this one more accurately. And you can sit out there and suddenly you're getting much, much better at predicting waves and where they're going to break. And, you know, you can extrapolate that not just to the breaking point, but how quickly they're peeling what sections are appearing. And later on, which sections are going to barrel, how fast and for how long and and all of that stuff. So, I mean, that's just one specific skill, which is wave prediction. But the idea is to give you something which you go away and then use rather than just something which you tick a box this week.
0: Yeah. So by naming it, people go back with that clear name
3: so i guess it's, it's, it's two things one is like this is the specific skill mm-hmm. right and then the other one is this is specifically what you have to do in order to get better at it yeah so whereas mm-hmm. that skill i've just described might have in the past been communicated more as a hey just like spend time in the ocean and kind of just get a sense of it you know and you'll kind of just feel stuff come and go and try and stay connected and then like that's all sounds great but you sit in the ocean and you're like like <laughs> what am i supposed to do with that
0: yeah um yeah hey.
2: You went from carrying the boards, coaching, continuing to coach, building, and you now have an incredible team. Right? How, be, how many coaches do you have now?
3: So we have, the, the team is 35, more or less, um, and we have nine coaches, one of whom is Harry, who's the coaching director, and then one of whom is Jesse, who's the right. head coach, and, uh, and, and actually, that, that's really key as well. Jesse manages the coaching team on a weekly basis, and Harry's job is to make sure that the whole coaching team every year is more sophisticated in how they're teaching than they were the year before. And I found that that's just a really good way of um, delegating people management. You know, usually you have like kind of a linear or a pyramid thing, and I found it's really good to, instead of making people above other people, they're just uh, in charge of different timescales. So it's like you're in charge of the day time scale or the week time scale. You're in charge of the year time scale. And now you know, Harry and Jesse and I sort of kind of talk about it in terms of like Jesse's in charge of the week, Harry's in charge of the year and I'm in charge of the decade. And like we each think in those scales and it's not like any one of us are above anyone else. Um, but just going back to what you said that the change from being someone who teaches surfing to somebody who manages people actually came entirely from you. And I, and I quote you quite often when I'm talking to our guests. And there was one day when you just said to me, I, I see how much energy you put into every one of your clients. You need to put all of that energy into your team and then have your team put that energy into your, your guests, your clients, because it's just not scalable. Like you've only got so many, so many hours and so much energy in a day. So, you know, that really came from you. You can take, definitely take credit for that one.
2: Ah, oh, I will. <laughs> uh. How did you actually train the coaches?
3: If we have someone who comes along who's been coaching for you know a few years and is a, and a competent level surfer, it, it takes us about three years to get them to a stage where they can coach like level one to four all the mm. way through. So it's a pretty long process, and a, a lot of the stuff we do wouldn't seem that surprising um, for most industries. You know, we do a few weeks of just concentrated one-on-one coaching, where they're away from the guests and working with Harry mostly mm. now. And then they'll shadow coaches and then they'll be shadowed themselves and they'll work on a certain skill set and then we'll start that whole process again with a whole new set of skills. So that kind of whole, that whole system isn't anything particularly unusual. Um, And like the coaching, we've kind of refined it more and more and more. And it started with me kind of doing it quite intuitively and then noticing the balls that got dropped and the things that didn't go across the net. And, you know, Harry and I would start systematizing it all, systemizing it all. (laughs) <laughs> and, um, and, you know, so now Harry has his, you know, his, like, lots of PDF kind of stuff that he goes through and, um, you know, we, we try and make it engaging and fun, but it's very different from teaching people how to surf. Um, and uh, some of it is, you know, technical understanding. Um, a lot of it is dealing with uh, how people emotionally react to surfing. Um, uh, that's, that's kind of a really big part of it, which, again, we've tried to systemize as well. Um, and uh, Can
0: you give an example yeah. of one of those things?
3: I've, I've never seen anyone go out and, and beat themselves up about how well their performance is and that be a productive tool. Um, it only ever gets in people's way and holds them back. And we get a lot of people come along who are very driven people. And as you guys know, if you're good at almost everything, if you're good at running and uh, catching and kicking... Uh, you know you can pick up most sports quite quickly and then you go in the ocean it's like you're straight back to zero again with everyone else and it can be really hard and frustrating and i see a lot of people who really want to be good getting very angry at themselves for not being better than they are and uh and just kind of pointing out to them that actually that's very self-indulgent to to say to yourself uh you know i should be better i'm usually better it's it's very self-indulgent it's much better just to say to yourself you know okay i've just got this this it's things that I have to practice and it's going to take a really long time. And the ocean is this big uncontrollable variable. And there's going to be peaks and troughs. And as long as I focus on am I practicing the right thing and am I surfing consistently and you don't beat yourself up on the troughs and you don't actually pat yourself on the back too much on the peaks either, mm-hmm. then you're going to stay a lot saner and, and ultimately be a lot happier and then you're going to surf more and then you're going to ultimately get better in the long run. Yeah.
2: Kevin's here with us and I know he's particularly... Interested and curious about coaching, he spent um, his career building out this incredible network of volunteers for Creative Mornings. And how do you think about coaching, and how does it jive with Russa uh, thoughts?
4: It's different because actually, I, I, sh- I don't know if I would like use the word coaching to describe a lot of what I was doing. Like I. For me, it's about just giving people the right sort of resources and nudges at the right times in their journey. So if you're thinking about putting on your first conference and you haven't found sponsorship before, you haven't, you know, never found a venue, you haven't invited speakers and you don't know where this is gonna happen, you haven't managed a team, all those things can sound like you're gonna to have to do all of those things and it can sound really overwhelming. So you help them kind of figure out, well, uh, One, you help sort of, like, clear the trees and let them see all of these different things that they need to do. So maybe that's similar to, like, naming the different elements. So it's one thing to be like, there's an unbelievable amount of knowledge I have to gather, but it's another thing to see a tree of knowledge. Mm. like, oh, okay, this is where I am. And then it probably makes sense to do this thing first because, you know, I'm not going to be able to, it makes a lot more sense to solicit, you know, uh, uh, my speakers in order to for me to be able to more confidently speak to my sponsors later on so Wild and I try picking apart that piece first and then my job is to figure out all right so what are the very best people that already do this what are they doing and how can I like package that up as like a tool or a resource or sample language or a way to you know speed you up and give that to you so I think a lot of the same bones but um I think what what really stuck with me is this idea of both like the technical and the emotional part because it's one thing to give someone the really great toolbox, but uh, making sure someone keeps consistently doing it and like can stick with it is probably even more important in some ways. Because like if you're at least going to be here
3: for a longer period of time, like you'll have a chance. If you're trying to rush it, uh, maybe you don't. So, so one thing that you said to me, you know, is when you're when you're saying like focus on the team rather than your, your guests, you, you said just remove every obstacle out of people's way if they're working for you. you know, if they need a new laptop, get them a laptop, mm-hmm. If they, whatever they need. Just move obstacles out of their way so that they can kind of run with whatever it is that they want to do, you know. And and, and, it, and it sounds like what you're doing is you've got people who want to come and do a conference and they may not know how to jump some of these hurdles and you're kind of moving obstacles out of the way for them or giving, the, giving them the tools to get over yeah. these obstacles. and.
4: Or acknowledging that something is an
3: obstacle. Some people are like, oh, I'm just
4: just not good at this. No, it's
3: really hard. Yeah. Yeah. Like That's okay. It's really hard. And also what order to do it in. Like, Mm -hmm. Worry about this first and then worry about that second, which is just what people need a lot of the time, especially Mm -hmm. starting businesses. Uh, Another really big part of, I think, the way we approach surf coaching differently was was something I took from art school where I had a a really amazing um, art master who everyone was trying to be creative and find their inner, you know, whatever voice and he was just like you guys are in your early 20s you've got like nothing interesting really to tell the world about your (laughs) life experience what I'm going to do is teach you how to use a camera and a paintbrush and clay and metal I'm going to just give you the tools to use all of these things and once you can do all of those things then you can go out and make art and um and I there's a lot of discussion around surfing where everyone talks about it as a sort of a, a, a spiritual thing or an expression and uh And I see it in a very similar way, and I sort of approached it right from the word go and still now is to say, all right, let's give people the tools to to nose ride or tube ride or do big turns or catch big waves or small waves. And then once they've got all these tools, rather than just going out and doing the only thing they can on a wave, they've got a whole choice of things to do. And actually they can be much more expressive. And it's it's sort of ironic, I guess, that by being less, subjective and and philosophical about surfing and approaching it more as a like as a, as a me- methodological sport we're actually i think giving people the tools to go and do all of that other like cool stuff that that sometimes gets hung on to surfing as more like a cultural thing i got a
4: quick follow-up question one of from my experience helping organizers organize things one of the most powerful tools um, I had was uh, kind of role modeling slash peer pressure. So if uh, a really an organizer does something really incredible in South Africa, I would go and take that story and make sure that like other organizers could see it or give them at least a place where they can post it. So someone feels that sense of either like envy or admiration, like, wow, like Ross really did that cool thing. Like, how do I do that in Tennessee? Um, I'm curious as you've, Tried to essentially like scale your um, scale your approach to coaching have you seen that as a, like kind of role modeling as kind of an effective tool to have coaches uh, i don't know uh, help coaches help other coaches and help them
3: find their own sort of unique coaching voice or style so yeah that's that's a that's a really good question because all the coaches are different, and so we've been quite thoughtful about saying okay there's eight of you that are coaching um, and you all need to have this stuff like is non-negotiable this is these are things we all need to be exactly on the same page about um, the way you approach these things you know there's there's a these are the areas where there's room for you to be more 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 uh, I guess personable mm-hmm. and and then when people are coming to stay with us we kind of you know pair them up with different coaches that we know they're gonna are gonna play mm-hmm. to their strengths um, We've got more coaches than we need so that we can have the coaches rotating and shadowing each other all the time. I'm always very mindful of trying not to make anyone feel above anyone else, Mm -hmm. but just constantly seeing each other's strengths Mm -hmm. and weaknesses. Mm -hmm. It's amazing in workplaces how often people can work side by side for decades without really knowing what the other person's doing. And I've seen that in coaching before, so we've tried to create a a timetabling system that kind of hacks that. Um, And then just more broadly, I've picked people like Harry and Jesse and, and almost all of the team now, but I've been very aware that there are some people who are just, they are the way they are. It, they don't have this hat that they put on for work. They're just really interested and passionate in, about what they do, and they've just got unstoppable enthusiasm. And I, and I noticed that to begin with in building a team, I was the one having to like pull everyone along really hard all the time. And then when you, get, when you find a Harry, when you find someone else who's like there with you, with their own momentum... Then they're like pulling everyone with you, and, and that's easier. And then you reach a critical mass, like you know, maybe half the people, and suddenly the scales tip, and it's not like those half are pulling the other half. Like now everyone sees that the normal behavior is to be like going along under your own steam. And if you're not doing that, it's not so much that you're hanging on to coke tiles, it's just that you feel socially awkward. And so once you just have that tipping point where the culture of your business is to is to be, you know, really proactive and always doing all of that kind of good stuff. Um, it then suddenly it goes from really hard to really easy, like very quickly within like a year or so.
0: You're listening to the Surf Simply podcast. You,
2: you, you touch on something here. You touch on a few things I would love to pull on. You know, uh, I've worked in a tech business for my entire career and. The most important key metric, you know, when I'm asked to advise or look at a product or a business, right, um, I always say that the key metric, the only metric that they should look at is their retention rate, right, how many people do come back every day and understanding why they come back. And I've, you've mentioned your retention rates to me a few times or, you know, the repeat customers, like, can you just kind of bullet point those, those to us? because I think they're remarkable so,
3: so my my understanding is that for hotels generally sort of the, the th- if you're above 3% for return guests that's um, that's considered sort of pretty good and, and we're at sort of above 30% okay, so
2: it's so the benchmark is 3% you're at 30% yes
3: Yeah.
2: so if there are 10 clients on average here this week 3 of the 10 have been back
3: yeah and and it's actually it's actually even a little higher than that because a lot of people want to come back but because we get booked out a year and, a year and a yeah. bit you know a year and a half ahead people who want to come back can't so yeah so, this constraint. Yeah, so that's kind of one constraint but um, i mean the I, the one question that i think people ask me the most which i think is completely missing the point mm-hmm. is like what's the secret to what you know what's the secret that made it all work there's so it's just a it's just ten thousand tiny moving parts and you know any one of them can break and trip you up just before you cross the finish line yeah. and um and you know people in Losara there's a lot of people that are kind of often starting businesses and they're like hey can we grab dinner and you know I want to start this thing and I'm like okay well you know you've done all your profit and loss spreadsheets and like where's how are you going to organise this and where's this coming from and they're like yeah 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 yeah, but not the details like what's what's really the, the secret to it all and it's like yeah, the secret is like rolling up your sleeves and getting getting into every single like nut and bolt and cog of the whole engine and how it works and and you know just constantly making sure that you're never getting tripped up by the same thing twice otherwise it's all overwhelming and that's why when you know we have uh, this lovely family came along and stayed with us recently and they just said are oh, we we want to open another surf simply like here in Osarum. We heard you guys were really good and we wanted to come and see how you run it so that you know the two boys who their two sons who were sort of in their early 20s who were fantastic surfers were like they're going to be the coaches then they stayed for the week and at the end of the week they were like uh yeah we can't do this <laughs> and they booked up and they're coming back again and they're a lovely family and we have more and more people coming along like that who who, who want to come and see what it is so they can copy mm-hmm. it and and people often you know, will take stuff we've done online and they'll kind of copy videos we've done yeah. and stuff like that. And to be someone who other people want to copy is fantastic. And it's, I, I know how complicated the machine is and the idea that someone might look at the website or spend a week at the resort yeah. and then go, I'm going to copy this is kind of like, I, I, maybe this is a little conceited, but you know, for want of a better analogy, it's kind of like getting in a plane and going from A to B and then going, I could build a plane. You know? <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> that's an incredible retention rate and what's also incredible is that you know you, you is you know every week right every week 12 people land you know uh, three or four are no longer strangers but the rest are, are. and you know you i've experienced it as well I've, you know I've, I've gone through your program and you know beginning of the week you're strangers the end of the week you know you, you, you guys are you're you guys are together, right? And we define community as you know, a group of people who care a ton about the same thing, uh, and they keep showing up for each other. And you know, I notice that even by the end of the week, people are just showing up for each other. It's like, are you okay? Do you need, you know, like, do you need a ride to the airport? Um, you know, oh, we left this person here. Make sure we don't, you know, make sure this person has a seat at the table. But my favorite is sitting in the lineup, which are a bunch of people. Some are more competent. Some are, you know, some are some are more serious. Some are. Man, uh, after like, sorry, like the first or second day, everyone's hooting and hollering people in. It's just so infectious, right? Is this by accident just people coming together and this is what they do? Or you know, did you did, did, have you thought how, how have you how have you thought about this?
3: Well, so the, the whole the whole thing was built from like a technical surf coaching. That was the foundation. And then everything got built on top of that. And some of the things have have happened as a happy accident and some by design and some a combination of both like sometimes and I think this should be true for a lot of businesses there's a little happy accident and you're like hey that was cool like let's make that more of a thing you know like for example the rancho is the size it is because the piece of property I bought was the size it was and and when I first was designing it I was like okay do we want to split up the couch And I guess we have to have the couch and the table and the kitchen here because that makes sense and then I sort of noticed that the space was just the right size so that someone can walk into that space and not feel obliged to sit with people or sit away from them. You don't have to make that choice. If you go to most hotels in the world, there's people that you half know, you're at a conference classically and everyone goes for lunch, are you going like to sit at the table with the people that you sort of just met or are you going to sit at another table on your own and look at your phone? And designing a space where you don't have to make people make that decision and instead they can sit anywhere and conversation can spring up organically or not and that's comfortable too. Um, once we kind of noticed that was a thing when we're designing the new resort we're like we have to build that into the new resort and when we start thinking about spaces that we're going to and, and group sizes and, and where people are going to sit at meals and for lectures you know we're thinking about that so it's like a happy accident that you then go oh let's, let's keep running with that because that's obviously really powerful. And then there's the fact um, you know, again, this is a kind of another happy accident that we that we sort of noticed and, and then run with. Is people are being pushed often to their physical and mental limits when they're out in the surf, um, and that can really leave people emotionally quite raw and exposed. Yeah. Um, and and it sort of seems to hack the process of becoming friends with people because you you just there's, you leave everything out there when you're in the ocean and holding stuff in, you just don't have the energy to because you're physically tired and, and sometimes you've been really scared or or frustrated or, or had a success so profound that you can't keep it in and play it cool. You're just like, yes, I did it, you know? Um, and I think that, that people go through an emotional roller coaster within a few days that as organically as friends it might take years to go through. So I, I think, again, that's kind of a happy accident yeah. that brings people together. And then a- another thing is that within surf culture generally, there's a lot of like people being very cool and aloof and trying to make things uh trying to make the whole lifestyle is meant to be impenetrable you know that's kind of what makes it cool and surf simply right down to our little logo the whole thing is like we're not the cool kids we're we're like the we're like the nerdy kids that you're actually best friends with you know at school we're like you know the little group out of uh, stranger things mm-hmm. like that's us we're those guys right
2: <laughs> which one are you i don't
3: know how to think about that, but, but the uh but that that culture that the coaches then all bring up defuses a lot of the tension straight away, especially from people that have been surfing a lot. And, and and I think that the guests look at the coaches and take a cue on what's the appropriate way to behave, and that then kind of ripples through everyone.
0: One of the things that I real I feel like I realized asking all of these different people who have built kind of a community thing is that the first people who are very involved and the culture that they create is what in some ways makes people keep coming back. Like just the you know that Maya Angelou quote: People don't remember what you did for them or what happened with them; they remember how you made them feel. It's really powerful. Like you show up for the thing and you stay for the people. Yeah. And one of the things I wanted to ask you is, what do you look for when you hire a new coach or your staff, and if they fit the, the, that kind of culture and energy, which is quite special?
3: So there's a lot of ways that someone could not fit it. Mm-hmm. So it's not so much that you you look um, you're looking for. It's not so much that you're looking for qualities. I mean, there's the obvious ones. They want to be personable. They need to be articulate. They need to be technically competent. They need to be comfortable communicating in front of people. You know, all those obvious things that you might assume we're looking for. So, like, we're definitely looking for all of that. But then you you can kind of have that within the first five minutes. So then the next process is um, just looking for red flags that give a hint to someone not being that, particularly when they're under pressure. Um, So we try to have as much communication with people as possible. And it's not really interviewing so much as just talking to them about anything, you know, but having someone on the phone for an hour and then the next day, you know, I bring Jesse uh, and Harry in and I'm like, oh, we're, we're gonna be speaking with Teal again, we're gonna yesterday. And now we're chatting for another kind of hour on Skype. And then I'm like, Teal, we're gonna do one more next week where we're chatting for another hour. And, you know, and then more people come in. And really what we're doing is, I just want her to be on the phone for long enough that if she's putting up a front, she, she's just a little too fatigued to keep it up. And then you can just look out for red flags popping up. And all you can do is just go, the more time that passes without a red flag popping up, the higher degree of confidence you can have that you're not wrong. Mm-hmm. Which again, it's like, it's like a science idea, right? It's mm-hmm. just like, you can never prove something right. You can just be more and more confident that you're not wrong. So, mm-hmm. um, and, I, and I, Since I've been mindful of that technique, I've, I've found it a lot I've made a lot less mistakes hiring people.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a long way from getting someone to teach you how to boil an egg, <laughs> which is one of the early interview questions.
3: Yeah, exactly. I mean you know we make people jump through a lot of hoops as well, so because we get, we get like I don't know, a couple of applications every week. Um, you know and the first thing we do is like you've got to make a, a video of you teaching something that has nothing to do with surfing. And it's partly we want to see that they can communicate, but we also want to see that they are going to go away and like shoot something and edit it and upload it and email through to us.
0: There's a level of friction, a barrier.
3: Yeah, just trying to create a bunch of barriers. So people have to jump through a bunch of hoops and you have like one in 100 people just does that, which is great. And then, you know, you, look, you have that red flag hunting process and kind of those two seem to be working quite well.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: But I'm, I'm definitely I mean, all of this being said, I've heard a lot of entrepreneurs talk about the, the 40 people in a business being a, a very significant threshold and it's like somewhere under 40 you can be connected with everyone which I feel like I am. Once you get to around there from, from what people have told me it becomes much more difficult to connect with everyone and to maintain that culture it becomes much more fragile and you know it's kind of a house of cards sort of thing. Um, so I've got no experience over that 35, 40 people, and, I, and I'm very aware that it's a whole different world. Yeah, and I don't know how, how a lot of what I'm saying really works if you scale it up.
2: And the, you know, scale is something that we've spoken a lot about, right, in two contexts. One is scaling yourself, scaling you know the processes, but there's this other scale, which is people are constantly asking you to scale, uh, to either scale the business, to invest in the business, to franchise it to take it all to all these places. Even the number of students that you have in the water mm-hmm. is really thoughtful and, and kept at a minimum. Like you know, I when I describe Surf Simply to people that don't know it as well, I describe it as a you know a small giant, mm-hmm. which I'd like to think I'm a bit Because miss- <laughs> uh, 'cause I'm so short. Um, <laughs> hey, how do you think how do you resist the how, how have you resisted this
3: urge to scale the business, the size of the business? Um, so th- that's, That is interesting. It's one of the... Uh, at least two of the guests ask me that every week. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, the the honest answer is it seems obvious to me to do it the way we're doing it. It's not so much a question of why we're not doing this. It's like, why would we? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I don't know. we there, There's this just inbuilt assumption with businesses that you want to scale them and make them bigger and mm. make them more profitable. Mm. Um, and people don't often actually stop and ask themselves why they want to do that. Um, you know, there's that famous study, which is you get a certain level of income and then your happiness stops going up with your income because mm. your income stops being a limiting factor in your mm. happiness. So there's no point in being richer than a certain amount, um, you know, unless you want to use that money to, to do something, mm. like something philanthropic, but. Um, so you know I, I, like i 'm lucky enough to have fairly simple tastes i 've got a I don't know, like surfboards and going on surf trips um, but i, I, I don 't think that having more money in my life would make me any happier so there 's no reason for me to want any more money so that's like that 's just a number one, underlying like principle. Mm-hmm. Um, I really want everyone that 's working at Surf Simply to get to that same point, mm-hmm. and I think we 're pretty close and i 'll feel like the business has succeeded when I think that every all 35 full-time employees at Surf Simply have a, a, a point also where any increase in salary wouldn't increase the happiness that they have in their life. Um, and that's that's a very, very clear goal that I want to reach. Um, if you expand and go bigger, you've just got more people. So that doesn't get you closer to sort of solving that problem. So, you know, we've put the price up incrementally. And just because of the nature of business, when you're, when, you're, when you've got like, the first ten guests are covering your costs, and then you know eleven and twelve are your profit, then you know you, you put the price up a little bit, which is the same as that thirteenth guest, and you're actually increasing the profit a lot and most of that now is going back into uh, kind of wage increases to get everyone to that point but I guess the main thing for me personally is that what's really fun is seeing how good we can make this thing like. this is really egocentric but i get such a kick out of people saying to me the sort of lovely compliments that you guys have paid me during this conversation like and you know what a cool thing so simile is um and i really enjoy going like i wonder what i can do now in the next year that's going to make it cooler and then when kevin and bailey and kai come back they'll be like oh my god you did this that's so awesome i'll be like yeah i did (laughs) you know like that's really fun and exciting and enjoyable and and just enriches my life and other people's life and so trying to make surf something better is fun and exciting. Making it bigger, I just, I don't see an upside. You know, it's, it's, it's not making something better. Now I'm just trying to duplicate something that already exists. Also, the surf coaching business, like you said, is, you know, we're putting people in the water. It's affecting other beach users. I think that having 12 surfers a week is a, mm-hmm. is a responsible amount of people. I see other people just trying to take in as many people as they can. And yeah. uh, it's, a, it's a finite resource. We need to use it sustainably.
2: There's a, another milestone in the history of Surf Simply, which is you're no longer the sole owner. Right? Can you describe sort of like how you eventually finally got there and did it, and what has been the impact.
3: One thing I've noticed is that you know salary is important to people, but taking a big pride in what you do is really huge, and it's been really cool seeing how Surf Simply's media presence has changed over the years, mm-hmm. so that when Jesse or Harry go home, rather than their parents going, what are you, you're teaching surfing in Costa Rica and having to tell their friends that. Now they go, oh, you know, Harry is working at Surf Simile. And they're like, Surf Simile, the place we read about in like, the newspaper, and the magazine, and so on Harry's TV. And Harry's famous
2: because of the podcast. Right, right.
3: And it's like, that that's worth a huge amount to people. It's worth a huge amount to me. Uh, I think it's worth something to all of us. There's a, I heard someone say that I, I kind of liked, it was like, you don't have to, you don't have to sell the job on on the person, or even on their parents, but if you can sell their parents' friends so that their parents can be proud of what the kids <laughs> see as their friends, then it kind of trickles yeah. down and everyone's that happy. Is so
4: true, <laughs> oh, so true. So I quite like that,
3: you know. So mm-hmm. making making Harry and Jesse and Danny partners in the business um, was about wanting to be able to share with them the pride that I feel, yeah. you know. and And also it was a reflection of the fact that all three of them and actually a lot of the other guys now too but at the time those three had just so um, they'd held nothing back and had just have given their entire adult professional lives to growing this business with me and it's just their life and it's just as much as it is mine to to not make them partners would be would be very churlish I think
2: we're getting close to the end so I'd love to um, ask you just you know, two or three more questions um it, 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 not only do you have these people coming in every week but you hear their stories and not only that but you affect their lives right like is there one story from you know a student a client that has come through that really that you clearly remember or you you know clearly affected and I'll, I'll, I'll take this moment to thank you as you know my friend because coming here you not only taught me to be um an independent surfer but you actually gave me the both the courage and the method to kind of keep moving along and the things and the problems that i'm solving and you've watched me change my careers a few times now and I attribute that to you know to to you and you know surf simply and, you know I wouldn't get to do the things that I get to do. I wouldn't be partnering with Bailey and Kevin if not but for the courage and the system that you taught me, right? And you must See, hear that.
3: That's like you know, I'd be crying. You need to be a little
2: squeeze. <laughs> <laughs> and so you, you must hear a ton of these stories. Can you just describe one of them that really Stand
3: out? Um, you know, I, people, we had a woman to, who came to stay a couple of weeks ago called Rochelle, and, and she wrote about how after staying at Surf Simley, she left her job. She's a lawyer in New York. Mm. And, um, you know, it, her week head had just made her stop and really reevaluate what was important, you know, and how she wanted to spend, you know, the remaining three or four decades of her life. Okay. Um, and people write like that almost every week it's amazing we had one guy and and i won't say what his name was but he um was really like aggressively resistant to some of the coaching like i just just shushing the coach i don't want to talk talk about that when when the other people in the room you know he was being coached with was sort of like we do and it was was kind of a little awkward and he would go down like early in the morning and really surf his brains out um and we were like, hey, you know, maybe just pace yourself a little bit as the week goes on. And, you know, you got really sunburned yesterday. You kind of got to look after yourself a little bit. And he's like, I don't care about that. And then other bits of coaching, he was like obsessed with, really, really wanted to get into And we just, we couldn't put this whole thing together. Um, and then six months later, one of the other guests uh, messaged us and said that he'd passed away. And when he came, he'd, he'd been told he only had six months left. And so he just didn't care about stuff like, he didn't care if he was going to get skin cancer, and he didn't want to spend time being coached on anything that was going to take him two years to perfect. And the stuff that he could nail within ten days, he was like obsessed with. And you know, often people come along, and I think this is just true for life. You know, often people come into your orbit, and their behavior doesn't necessarily make sense. And then you'll sometimes look back a year later, and there'll there'll just be one data point that you didn't know that makes everything else just kind of slot into place. But uh, that was that he was just one person that, I, that really stays with me. Thanks for sharing, that's powerful.
0: What do you think it is that you give people that makes them love Surf Simply so much and makes them want to keep coming back?
3: Well, the two bits of feedback that guests tell us most commonly is that they, they didn't know that they could get better at surfing. I mean, there's just that pure technical coaching aspect, which, mm-hmm. again, like I said, is it was that was the foundation that we started with, and kind of plugged everything else into the mm-hmm. accommodation, the cooking, and everything else. That was the core of it, and that's a big driving force. And I think the other thing that people say most commonly that you already alluded to was that they really love being around people who genuinely really care about them, and you know, in when I was talking about who we employ, particularly with the coaches, because there's so much interaction and it's, and it's so personal, it's mostly one-on-one or two-to-one coaching. And trying to find people that aren't just putting on a coaching hat but really genuinely care about the guests. And one thing I, I always point out to the coaches is I'm like, if you spend an hour and a half down in, in the ocean with one of the guests, um, that they're going to know that you're there as a job and that you're being paid to be there. The two minutes that you spend chatting with them later up in the Rancho, when you, they know that you don't have to be there, is actually really, really valuable. So I know that you really care about these people, but remember that for them to know that, they just need to see you do the stuff that they know you don't have to do. So that's something that you know we explicitly talk about, and I, I think that's that's powerful, and it's not um, it's not disingenuous. It's just making sure that people are aware that that's how the coaches feel and how the team feels and I, I think I think people kind of feel that absolutely
0: think, it's infectious that people are happy
3: to be here doing the job well yeah. and when, one thing that I think makes it easy for me is like I really like everyone mm-hmm. that I work with it's, it's not like I'm
2: that's obvious. like yeah.
3: a boss going into work he's having to like put on a face for the team it's like like, I really love these guys. yes go on
2: vacations. <laughs> <laughs> I mean,
3: they're just pretty, uh, they're a pretty amazing bunch of human beings, you know.
2: Um, um, let me close with two questions, um, final questions. One is, you know, what's been the biggest fuck up, <laughs> It's like, or a few fuckers. Like, the ones that are really memorable and just punch you in the face, punch you in the brain, you know.
3: You know, the, the business answer is, any one of a thousand things, you know, like cars just suddenly breaking down, um, taxi drivers not showing up, suddenly a big change in the in the immigration or tax law, and we're like, we have to re- rearrange everything, um, you know, that when suddenly we had this, this guy that was going to build a nightclub opposite the resort, um, which didn't happen in the end, but there, there's been several times where I remember sitting there just thinking, I can't see how we're going to get through this one. I don't see a way through the trees. Yeah. Um, and somehow it's kind of worked out. And I know Harry and I always had this expression that it's like, when there's a, a wall in front of you and you can't see your way through it, sometimes the best way is you just, like, headbutt your way through the wall. <laughs> and then when you're standing on the other side of the wall, people go, oh, that was so lucky that there was a hole right there where you needed to get through. And they're like, yeah, wasn't that lucky. You know? <laughs> so that's how it feels, you know. But um, and I, there's, no, there's no one... Particularly yeah. that stands Same. out, but but there's there's been so many times when it, when it's there's like a been lo- just cuts. yeah, and and there's just been like logistical problems that aren't particularly there's no lesson to be drawn from them. There's no big like concept there. It's just like the car broke down right when we just didn't need it to, mm-hmm. or suddenly you know insurance got way more expensive or whatever mm-hmm. it was. Or, and two days ago,
2: you gave me a walk through a tour of this construction site of the new resort and I just remembered this morning that the last time I saw you put on you know sort of like a hard hat thing like was when you put on a torch lamp and <laughs> yeah. you used to give one hour lessons end of the night we had dinner and then you went I'm going to now go walk home and you walked home to, I think your home was in Palada. Yeah, which just like about, that's gotta be about 10 kilometers and you're hoofing it. And I asked you once, you know, what, what are you going for? What, what, what are your dreams? Like where do you go? And you're like, I want a quad. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I want a quad motor vehicles. I don't ever want a car because a quad I could go around, but like your, your dream was a quad and two days ago we're walking through this construction site and this place is going to be not only beautiful but you know it's in the natural reserve you've thought through the design it's so on the
3: edge of the natural on reserve on the edge of a natural reserve that's a very reserve. important
2: difference <laughs> true <laughs> very true and you've got the best design team in you know in Costa Rica And just can you just reflect for a moment and just like you know this kind of more than a decade journey. What's one thing that you want to share with people that you've never been able to share about this insanely painful, um, exciting, you know, unpredictable journey that you've been on?
3: Um, well, it's funny that you mentioned the quad because I remember when I got a quad, and I remember driving it through Nosara and uh, feeling, like, embarrassed that I owned a quad because I felt like it was really pretentious and people would be like, oh, he's got a quad, you know? And I was kind of felt really self-conscious with it, and which kind of is, is funny looking now. Um, I don't know. I mean, I guess I'm very aware that no matter... There is a really stark difference, like, and it's grown a lot and it's been really successful, and, you know, I'm really grateful for that. But I'm also very aware, as I'm sure all of you guys are, that on a daily basis, your internal sense of anxiety versus um, kind of uh, pride in your accomplishments, you know, and your, your sense of, you know, how much time should I have off versus how hard should I be working um, and how far have I, c- have I got to go versus how far have, have I come. It's funny how those things don't change no matter where you are on the map. And it, and you're totally totally convinced that you know, if I get if I have a quad that'll be it. I'll never want anything else. I can't imagine a greater professional achievement than being able to afford that. You know, and when you've got it, of course, I know it's a cliche, but of course, you know, you you keep thinking about what the next thing is, and that can be a really positive force for people in their lives. You know, the whole there's a lot of Eastern spirituality philosophies that are all about getting rid of greed, right? And I don't know if that's necessarily very good, like greed for adoration or to feel pride in your own achievements can be the thing that drives you to do some of the best stuff you do in your life even to do great philanthropic work and help help other people but i do think that just having the awareness to like stop and look at your own life and go all right i know i'm always gonna like feel 30 you know anxiety and seventy percent 70 smugness or whatever way that you are in your own life I'm always going to feel that, but I also want to take some time every day to to do a more objective, data informed, like where am I at? Like how how good should I really feel about it when I'm when I'm not feeling emotional, I'm just being purely objective. And then to use those moments to inform what you're gonna spend your time doing next.
2: Well, thank you for the time.
3: Thank you very much. And thanks for coming this week as well. It's been cool. I want to. I want to kind of keep doing more of these things, and I can't wait to have you guys come and stay in the new place. You're, you're always welcome. Thank you.
4: So, Thank yeah. you. Yeah. All
3: right. Thanks, man. Good job. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I hope I didn't waffle too much.
0: That was the Surf Simply podcast from the Surf Simply Coaching Resort in Costa Rica. For more about Surf Simply's video coaching courses for experienced surfers and technical coaching for entry-level surfers, go to surfsimply.com.